Democrat opponents of Donald Trump are rushing to condemn the president's latest tweets instead of proposing workable solutions to the nation's problems, which would be hard work and involve telling the truth. And so that's off the table. Over the weekend, Trump attacked Maryland Congressman Elijah Cummings as a bully because Cummings has shouted at and condemned border enforcement workers while his own Baltimore district is a disgusting rat-infested hellhole. In an angry response, Cummings gave a press conference with some of his city's most important rats, whom he praised as the largest and hardest working rats in the country. Cummings said, quote, come home, I come home to my district every day to make sure these rats are doing their good work of making this city a living hell so I can call people racist and squeeze more money out of the federal government to spend on God knows what, unquote. The rats agreed and suggested Trump's tweets were racist since some of them are black from the disgusting grime of Baltimore's gutters. Democrat presidential candidates rushed to share in the outrage. Kamala Harris said, quote, This is appalling. If people start calling out race-baiting lawmakers for the fact that they do absolutely nothing to improve the lives of black Americans, why, there won't even be a Democrat party, unquote. Cory Booker also made an appearance dressed as Spartacus, saying he hadn't had time to change after, <laughs> after last night's gladiator party. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi gave an interview on the subject to the statue of Sacagawea in the Capitol Rotunda, which she mistook for a Washington Post reporter. Pelosi said, quote, once again, the president has disgraced himself by telling the truth in such a way that we can misconstrue it as racism. The people of Baltimore would surely rise up in protest if they weren't so beaten down by poverty and despair. Plus, the rats in that town are just awful, unquote. The statue of Sacagawea then left the rotunda to file her story with the Post, who said hiring the bronze Native American was cheaper than bringing on actual journalists. <laughs> Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. You know, you frequently hear people in the media, both on the left and the right, saying Trump's tweets are a distraction and we must address the serious issues instead. I completely disagree with this. Right now, the most important thing happening in this country politically is a dance craze called the Donald Trump three-step. Here's how it goes. Step one, Trump tweets something both obvious and true. The four congresswomen known as the squad are anti-American idiots. Elijah Cummings bullies the Border Patrol while his district goes to hell in a handbasket. Al Sharpton, Sharpton is a race-baiting jerk. Now, Trump tweets these simple and obvious truths in a rude and boorish manner because he's a rude and boorish guy. But only a rude and boorish guy would say them at all because the left, which includes the Democrats, the news media, Hollywood, universities, social media, and corporate America, the most powerful elites in the country, the left has worked for decades to render these truths unsayable in polite society. They do this for the simple reason that the decadence their ideas have brought down upon us serves the elite, as leftism always serves the elite while the rest of us suffer. Step two. The elite machinery goes into gear to defend itself from Trump's truth. The Democrats call him racist. The media calls him racist. Commentators choke up over the racism of it all. Hollywood, academics, social media, racist, racist, racist. Anyone who states these simple, obvious truths Trump states must be a racist. Not one mainstream media outlet spends even a second trying to fairly investigate the question, was Trump right? 
Was what he said true? What are the facts? All they do is report the charges of racism, then bring on commentators to amplify those charges. And meanwhile, universities teach children to think the charges are true, and Hollywood makes movies to convince you they're true, and so on. Anything to make sure that none of you little people get the idea that you can disagree and speak the truth like Trump does. Because if you do, you're racist and you'll pay with your reputation, with your job, with your social media platform. Somehow you will pay big time. Step three, the rebel media, us, Fox, and the rest of all the smaller outlets point out that, well, yes, the squad is anti-American and racist. Yes, their ideas are destructive and hateful. Yes, Cummings hasn't done a damn thing for the people he's supposed to serve. Baltimore is hell. And yes, Al Sharpton is a bad guy, an anti-Semitic creep with blood on his hands, who, by the way, played a major advisory role in the Obama administration. And for this, we get demonized, demonetized, banned, boycotted, and algorithmed to death. But maybe, maybe the truth gets out. Then we repeat step one. I call this the most important political phenomenon in the country right now because it's offering Americans a simple choice. Will we choose to speak the truth even at the cost of being reviled? Or will we be cowed into silence and surrender our country to slow socialist death? We just finished eight years of the slow socialist death stuff. Are we ready to go back? We ready to go back to apologizing for our freedom and prosperity to the world's tyrants? Ready to go back to the cop killings and race riots in our cities? Ready to go back to the crappy economy that crushes the poor while elites thrive and to coddling violent Islamists while the Middle East burns and the Iranian terror state rises? Or can we follow Trump's lead, shatter the communications hegemony of the left and take back the right to speak freely and debate openly in hopes of returning our country to its great foundational ideas? Now, I've always been honest about this part. As a gentleman who values politeness, I regret that it requires a rough guy like Donald Trump to make this play. That happened because polite, sophisticated right-wing thinkers sat in their think tanks and theorized while the culture burned. But in a fight like this, you use the weapons you've got, and that means Trump. And I'm very much hoping that Donald Trump three-step leads to a fourth step, namely re-election. All right, we're going to talk more about this uh, Twitter war because I actually do think it's the most important thing. But first, we're going to talk about Bull and Branch. You know, as I was lying awake last night, way into the morning, I was thinking, boy, these Bull and Branch sheets are really good looking and they uh, they just feel great. You know, now you guys, you if you had Bull and Branch, all you do is sleep because they're so comfortable, you would just fall asleep. But I'm awake all night long, so I get to appreciate what, a, what great sheets these are. They're more affordable than you think. And what makes them unique is that each sheet is crafted from 100% organic cotton. That means Bolin Branch sheets not only feel incredible, but also look amazing. And since Bolin Branch sells exclusively online, you don't pay that expensive retail markup. That's half the price for twice the quality. You will love these sheets. Try them for 30 nights. See for yourself. If you're not impressed, return them for a full refund. Refund. Go to BolinBranch.com today and you'll get 50 bucks off your first set of sheets plus free shipping in the U.S. when you use the promo code CLAVEN. That's 50 bucks off plus free U.S. shipping right now at BolinBranch.com, spelled B-O-L-L, and Branch.com, promo code CLAVEN, BolinBranch.com, promo code CLAVEN. And you're laughing, you're snickering, you're saying bowl. Anyone can spell bowl, but how do you spell CLAVEN? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. All right, so let's go through this. You know, we played this video last week. I'm going to play it again. This is Elijah Cummings shamefully bullying the DHS secretary, uh, Kevin McAleenan. Uh, do we have that? Do we have the... Uh, yeah, we do. It's uh, number 12. Uh, and it's, it's, just, it's just shameful for the following reason. Cummings is in Congress. Congress makes law. 
the laws are what the border guys, the DHS guys, and all the people who are working so hard at our borders are trying to enforce. You don't like what's happening down there, change the laws. But they don't. They sit on their ass and they yell at Trump and they've sat on their asses for 20 years. They yell at Trump because they want the borders open. So here's Elijah Cummings bullying DHS Secretary uh, Kevin McAleenan. When we hear about stories coming out from you and your agency that everything is pretty good and you're doing a great job, I guess you, you feel like you're doing a great job, right? Is that what you're saying? We're doing our level best in a very... What does that mean? What does that mean when a child is sitting in their own feces, can't take a shower? Come on, man. What's that about? None of us would have our children in that position. They are human beings. And I'm trying to figure out, and, and, and I get tired of folks saying, oh... Oh, they just beating up on the Border Patrol. Oh, they just beating up on Homeland Security. Now, what I'm saying is I want to concentrate on these children. And I want to make sure that they are okay. I will say it. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It's not the deed that you do to a child. It's the memory. Just tune this out. All right. So that... I mean, yeah, he wants to concentrate on the children because he doesn't want to concentrate on the fact that Congress hasn't done anything about this, which they could do. Trump is right about this. 15 minutes. All they got to do is change the asylum laws, the asylum regs. Trump is doing everything he can to make this better. He really is. He's been complaining about it. He complained about it all through 2018. What was he called? Guess. Guess. Go ahead. It starts with an R. I'm just going to give you a hint. It starts with an R. He's called a racist. Racist, racist, racist. While they said it's a manufactured crisis, Trump is right. Elijah Cummings is now blaming this guy. So Trump strikes back on Twitter. Here's what he says. Representative Elijah Cummings has been a brutal bully shouting and screaming at the great men and women of Border Patrol about conditions at the southern border when actually his Baltimore district is far worse and more dangerous. His district is considered the worst in the USA. As proven last week during a congressional tour, the border is clean, efficient, and well-run, just very crowded. Cummings District is a disgusting rat and rodent infested mess. If he spent more time in Baltimore, maybe he could help clean up this very dangerous and filthy place. Now, just to be fair, he said the same thing about Nancy Pelosi, that her district is also falling apart. And before we go into the St. Elijah narrative, which I'm sure we're going to hear about the hardworking, my dear friend, oh my goodness, this wonderful man. Here's a story with a hat tip to Molly Hemingway, who tweeted it out. This is from May from the uh, Washington Examiner. Alana Goodman writes, a charity run by the wife of Representative Elijah Cummings received millions from special interest groups and corporations that had business before her husband's committee and could have been used illegally, according to an IRS complaint filed by an ethics watchdog group. Cummings, a Maryland Democrat, is chairman of the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform. His wife, Maya Rockymore, 48, is the chairman of the Maryland Democratic Party and briefly ran in the state's gubernatorial race. Uh, Rockymore runs two entities, a nonprofit group called the Center for Global Policy Solutions and a for-profit consulting firm called Global Policy Solutions, LLC, whose operations appear to have overlapped, according to the IRS complaint filed by the watchdog group National Legal and Policy Center on Monday. The complaint states 
Global Policy Solutions received more than 6.2 million in grants between 2013 and 2016, according to tax records. Several of the nonprofits group's financial backers have business interests before the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform. All right, I don't want to get into the high weeds about this, it, but it's typical, typical Democrat malfeasance where they use their power uh, for pa- uh, patronage and funneling money, in, usually into their own pockets. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Cummings was in debt for a long time. It says... Um, uh, he was in debt for a long time, but he's doing quite well now. Anyway, here's Baltimore. Here is a lake, local Fox station, Fox 45, reporting on Baltimore, following around Baltimore's mayor, Catherine Pugh. About a year ago, city leaders identified some of the city's most violent neighborhoods. What the hell? We should just take all this down. To target. Ooh, you can smell the rats. Under Baltimore's Violence Reduction Initiative. Ooh, Jesus. Just last week, we went with Mayor Pugh as she toured an East Baltimore neighborhood. This is a new one. I've been out here 54 years. This is a new one. Baltimore's Violence Reduction Initiative is about taking steps to rid communities of the cornerstones that contribute to crime. Oh, my God. You can smell the dead animals. Blocks of dilapidated buildings help to hide the addiction that's crippled this community. That's why they call her Mayor Pew, because she can smell the rats and the dead animals and possibly bodies who were buried in there. I mean, we saw all saw this on The Wire. David Simon yesterday, the guy who created The Wire, is is tweeting about what an evil racist is. We saw on his show what a rat infested, crime infested hellhole Baltimore is. But if you watch the show carefully, he would always go and blame the Republican governor instead of the Democrats. So the Democrats were always fighting for a better world, but the Republicans were evil because they weren't there. So he always went out of his way. I mean, this is a place that hasn't had any kind of uh, Republican governance in a million years. The the new deputy police commissioner uh, the other day got mugged. He got held up at gunpoint uh, while he was out with his wife. So just just to highlight for a minute the uh, hypocrisy, here is Bernie Sanders talking to Jake Tapper. Uh, this is uh, cut six. And just how how disgraceful it is that Donald Trump, I mean, now that it's now that it's Donald Trump saying it's suddenly it's racist to tell the truth. Jake, it's it's unbelievable that we have a president of the United States who attacks uh, American cities, who attacks Americans, who attacks somebody who's a friend of mine. Elijah Cummings is one of the most decent and outstanding members of the House of Representatives. He fights every day to improve life in his community. Uh, I do find it interesting that when we have rural Republican districts where life expectancy is going down, where downtowns are boarded up, where people are struggling, and people are struggling in rural America, they're struggling in urban America, they're struggling in suburban America. Our job is to bring people together to improve life for all people, not to be a have a racist president who attacks people because they are African-Americans. That is a disgrace. And that is why we're going to defeat uh, this president. All right. So that was Bernie uh, yesterday. Here's Bernie in 2015 after taking a walk through Baltimore. But anyone who took the walk that we took, we took around this neighborhood would not think you're in a wealthy nation. You would think that you were in a third world country. But today what we're talking about is a community in which half of the people don't have jobs. We're talking about a community in which there are hundreds of buildings that are uninhabitable. We're talking about a community where kids are unable to go to schools that are decent. So, yeah, I mean, so there he is saying the same thing. 
why is that not Elijah Cummings' fault? Why is Elijah Cummings not responsible for his district? I mean, what would it, what is it that suddenly alleviates him of the responsibility for helping his district? What is it about Nancy Pelosi that she, as she lives in her walled building, her walled mansion, is not responsible for what is happening to San Francisco? You know, here's a... a um, editorial I found from a, a publication called Issues. I, I wrote down Issues and Answers, but I believe it's Issues and Ideas. And and I'm, I want to read just a portion of it because it's just so true. And he's got all the uh, facts and figures laid out. He says, take a look at the eight other cities that beat Baltimore on the list of the rattiest cities. What do they all have in common? Chicago hasn't had a Republican mayor since 1931. Philadelphia last saw a Republican mayor in 1952. Detroit in 1962. San Francisco has been Democrat-controlled since 1964. Washington, D.C. has never had a Republican mayor. In Los Angeles, Democrats have run the city in all but eight of the past 58 years. In New York, it's eight in the past 74, not counting John Lindsay, who switched parties while in office. Cleveland's been run by Democrats in all but 16 of the past 78 years. Indeed, if you want to see what liberal Democratic policies tend to produce, go to any one of those cities or any other Democrat strongholds. Democrats promise to help the poor and downtrodden grow the middle class, make life more fair, but their policies consistently produce the opposite. These cities are rife with crime. Baltimore ranks number one for robberies and number two for murderers. Many of the other rat-infested cities also rank high for violent crimes. Their infrastructure is crumbling. The middle class has largely abandoned them. And far from tackling inequality, Democrats have made it worse. Washington, San Francisco, and New York are all in the top 10 for biggest income inequality levels. According to the Brookings Institution, other Democrat cities, Providence, Miami, Boston, New Orleans, are also on the list. Washington, San Francisco, New York, Detroit, and Cleveland are also among the 10 worst-run cities. According to the Wallet Hub, three other Democrat strongholds, Oakland, Flint, Hartford, make the worst-run list. Yet whenever the desperate conditions of these cities get discussed, they're treated either as if these problems simply fell out of the sky, that somehow Republicans are to blame, or that more taxpayer money will solve everything. The connection to liberal policies never gets made. And I would add liberal culture, by the way, which destroys families and integrates families in order to promote, you know, transgenderism, which may be a painful condition, but affects almost nobody. So rather than focus on Baltimore and Cummings, Trump would do well to point out that it's decades of Democrat rule that have destroyed some of the country's finest cities. High taxes, intrusive regulations make them inhospitable to business. Government control, union cronyism encourage waste and corruption. Soft on crime attitudes lead to more crime, drug abuse, and rampant homelessness. And this is important. You see the same thing at the state level of the 10 worst run states in the country. All but one is solidly Democratic. And of the best run states, only one is Democratic, according to a ranking by the Mercatus Center. This has nothing to do with race. It has everything to do with the sorts of policies the left has implemented. But the race is used to protect it. They hide behind their skin, the color of certain lawmakers' skin. They hide behind the color of the skin of the people they are oppressing. The people in Baltimore who are being oppressed are black. It's, I think, a 53 percent uh, black city. They're the ones who are paying the price for the Democrat policies and the Democrat culture. So let's take a look at the rounds of the MSN, because this is the corporate arm of the Democrat Party. This is the P PR corporate arm. Corporations protecting their profits. Their profits are aided when uh, when trade is free, completely free, completely global. That's when 
uh, corporations do their best. That's when they become powerful. Plus, big regulation means little guys can't get started, right? If you, there's lots of regulations, you need lots of lawyers to comply. Little guys can't do that. Uh, they can buy, you know, if if the government, if there's crony capitalism, which is socialism, if the government is in control of business, then the way you get favors from the government is you buy off the government. You do it with campaign contributions or bribes or lobbying. And who can do that? The big guys can do it. The little guy just trying to start a business can be regulated out of business immediately and will be, will be as a favor to these corporations. So let's take a look at the faces of these corporations, namely the so-called journalists who front these corporations to make sure that social, the socialist agenda goes forward. Let's take a look at ABC, NBC, and CBS uh, reacting, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's NBC and ABC, I think, reacting to Trump's tweets. Many of the residents and political leaders of Baltimore have been reacting with outrage. The Baltimore Sun was out with a scathing editorial titled, Better to Have a Few Rats Than to Be One. But President Trump is doubling down, and as of midnight last night, still tweeting about Congressman Cummings and his city. Cummings district includes most of Baltimore and is majority black. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi swiftly condemned the tweets as racist, tweeting, we all reject racist attacks against him. Trump also used that term infested on Twitter to target four minority congresswomen last week, telling them to, quote, go back to the totally broken and crime infested places from which they came. All four congresswomen are American citizens. Only one, Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, was born outside of the United States in Somalia. Well, good morning to you, Willie. President Trump is once again attacking a leading person of color in Congress, igniting another firestorm and bringing more charges that he's using race to try to, to divide Americans for political gain. I think we can't let that get lost. This is all about him. And the president knows he sparks a race, you know, does this racial division business, which is what he does quite a bit. He knows it serves two purposes. One is it distracts from the story he doesn't like, and that is what Cummings has investigated. And two, his base likes it. Yeah, there's no it question. It sto stokes the base. So that was NBC and ABC. I, didn't, I shouldn't have put CBS in there. ABC and NBC. Where were the facts? Where were the facts? I mean, I, I, I'll admit... It, there's a story in the fact that people accuse the president of racism and that he said something and, and that was their reaction. That's the, that can be the lead. But then where are the facts? Who's right? Is it racist? Is it racist if it's true? Of course not. The truth isn't racist. The truth is just the truth. But the whole purpose of, of the charge of racism is to silence the truth. And we've lived with this now for decades. For decades, if you said, hey, there's high crime in the black community, oh, you're a racist. If you said, you know, the fact that blacks don't get married and have children out of wedlock, which means there are now more black kids born out of wedlock than there were during slavery days when the Democrats were actually selling blacks down river to separate their families, tearing their families apart. It's worse now because of Democrat policies, because they actually found a way to make it stick. The fact, when you say that, oh, you're racist, racist, it's always to silence people. So the very reporting is a, a term of a, a form of bullying. It's a form of bullying people into silence. And it's been going on a long time. It is now infested social media. It has infested search engines. It's infested algorithms. It is just a way of bullying you. It's just to get at you. And Trump is a big, rude guy with a very thick skin who doesn't care. And again, 
it, it bugs me that we let this culture slip so far that a person could not fight back without being rude. But they took over our system of manners. They took over. They said that's impolite. That's racist. That's a terrible thing. You're a terrible person if you tell the truth about what our policies do. And by the way, none of these people lives in black neighborhoods. None of them lives in the poor neighborhoods. Barack Obama doesn't live in a poor black neighborhood. He didn't send his kids to a poor black school. They None of them do because they know what they do to these places. And they have absolutely no way to address it without going and looking people in the face and saying, hey, you got to get married before you have kids. Hey, you need a job. You need an education. The gangs are bad things. You know what? Taking money, being living off the uh, largesse of the government, feeling entitled, having entitlements is bad for you. Nobody wants to say it. And you know the guy... The, the guy who really did the worst job yesterday was Chris Wallace. And I hate to go after him because Chris Wallace is, is pretty fair. He goes after everybody. He yells at everybody the same. But his characterization of Trump's tweets, I don't think he should be fired for it, but I think he should be rebuked for it because it was absolutely unfair. Listen to what he said. He's talking to uh, acting um, uh, Mick Mulvaney, the acting, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't, I can't come up with it. But go ahead and listen to Chris Wallace. He objects to the president defending his border policies, but this seems... Mick, to be the worst kind of racial stereotype. Let me finish. Yeah. Racial stereotyping. Black congressman, majority black district. I mean, no human being would want to live there. Is he saying people that live in Baltimore are not human beings? So, Chris, help me with this. <laughs> he says no human being would want to live there, would want to live there. He's saying people, it's not the people who want to live there. They can't get out. What is he talking about? And this thing with infested, uh, he's the, uh, the the acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney. You know, what, what, what is he even talking about? And say, this thing with the word infested, you got to hear this on uh, on CNN uh, Victor Blackwell, he's crying about infestation. Infestation is now a racist term. Anything, anything they can do to shut you up for pointing out what their policies do. These are Democrat-run cities. These are Democrat policies that did this to people. This is a Democrat culture. This is a left-wing culture. We have a president who curses now, not because of right-wing culture. The right was, all, it was always protesting against this. All of this stuff is brought to us by and for the left. And now this guy is going to cry. He's going to break down in tears because of infested is a racist word. Only The only reason Trump would use the word infested, I mean, the guy knows all the best words, so the only reason he would use the word infested is to attack black people. This is absurd. Infested, he says. A week before his inauguration, January 2017, Congressman John Lewis should spend more time on fixing and helping his district, which is in horrible shape and falling apart, not to mention crime infested. Donald Trump has tweeted more than 43,000 times. He's insulted thousands of people, many different types of people. But when he tweets about infestation, it's about black and brown people. September 2014, at the height of an urgent health emergency, why are we sending thousands of ill-trained soldiers into Ebola-infested Ebola areas of Africa? Bring the plague to the U.S.? Obama is so stupid. Infested, he says. There's a revolution going on in California. So many sanctuary areas want out of this ridiculous crime-infested and breeding concept. Infested, he says. The president says about Congressman Cummings' district, that no human would want to live there.
I don't know what we would do without CNN for laughs, but I mean, but I mean could, could we have a little news with our emotions, please? You know, this is the thing. This is the thing. You, the words, they want control of the language because the language allows you to express thoughts. And if you can't control your language, you can't control your thoughts. If you can't use the pronoun you want, you can't say, hey, you know what? I don't care what kind of clothes you wear. I don't care what you think you are. You are the sex you were born and there's no getting out of it. Tough luck. If you can't uh, control the language. If you can't use the language you want to use, you can't express the ideas in your head. And that is the whole point. You know, the most telling one of these is, though, though it's not the funniest. I think that one was the funniest. The funny, the, the most telling one is Brian Stelter, right? Brian Stelter's job is to investigate the media. And we know he does this with the courage, uh, you know, uh, and insightfulness that only a leftist blockhead could bring to the job. But now he goes after a report on Fox News, the evil Fox News, the one outlet, the one major outlet with a right-wing slant. And it does have a right-wing slant, although their news, their special report is the best news program on and very fair, but the, but no question, Fox News, despite the uh, many Democrats who appear on it, both as uh, anchormen and as guests, despite all that, it does have a right-wing atmosphere, a right, right-wing slant. The one place with a tenth of the viewership of the networks it's the one place, so it's the demon. It's the, This is the great, uh, what Chuck Todd called the great propaganda machine of the right. One cable station, one lousy place. So he investigates a report that he says inspired Trump's tweet, uh, which was a report about how bad Baltimore is. Her LinkedIn profile pointedly says she's a commentator, quote, not under contract, which means she's going on Fox for free. Earlier this month, she decided to take on Cummings by making web videos about Baltimore's rundown neighborhoods. But I tell you all this to explain here is where the president is getting his information. Clackett was booked on Fox again on Saturday. The president was watching, and then an hour later he tweeted. But first, listen to what she said on Fox. There is a crisis at the border, but there's also a crisis in Baltimore. And I don't think many people realize this, but Congressman Cummings it represents the most dangerous district in America. She went on to use words that Trump would parrot basically exactly. Watch. There's abandoned row homes filled with trash, um, homeless attics, uh, empty needles that they have used. And it's really right next door. So it's attracting rodents, uh, cockroaches, you name it. The videos are real, but they're not even Fox's videos. They're relying on an unpaid guest who went in the neighborhoods, talked to people because she wants to support Trump and tear down Cummings. And all of this happens, and then Trump tweets an hour later. He tweets about a woefully incomplete view of Cummings district with clearly racist connotations. <laughs> so so he's, investigating, he's investigating Fox for telling the truth. <laughs> Even he says the, the videos are real. And by the way, both he and Chris Wallace use the idea that there are, in fact, wealthy places in Cummings district. But that's part of the problem, the inequality, the inequality that's, that socialist ideas always create. The, what socialism does is it wipes out the middle class and creates a power class that, that has access to money and a, a, an impoverished class that needs to go begging to the power class for any scrap of bread it can get their hands on. That's what they're selling. That's what they're going to be selling at the debates over the next two days on, uh, on the uh, Democrat debates. This is what they're selling. And the whole idea is to silence you so you do not say it doesn't work. And by the way, it doesn't work for pe people of color because it's not about color. It's never been about color. When we say that, they call us racist for that. When we point out it's not about color, it's just about America. It's just about this country. 
country we love. It's not wanting to see people suffering in these cities. It's not wanting to see police chased out of the cities, uh, the inner cities by violence so that the criminals can run the place, which was what was happening over Obama, that effect that people had because the, the cops didn't want to be accused by the president of being racist, so they didn't enforce the law. Who suffers? It's the poor people who always suffer. This this is the problem. They have done bad stuff. I would so much rather support a rude and pugilistic president like Trump, who is actually doing good things for my fellow Americans, than listen to these elite corporate clowns call everybody racist who disagrees with them. It's, it's shameful. And the question is, the choice is now up to you guys. The choice is now up to the voters, all the people. Do, can you stomach? Can you stomach a little bit of rudeness and fight back against this hegemony of the communications business to bring America back online and keep it from going the way of Europe, which is straight down the tubes? All right, we've got somebody on Knowles, Michael Knowles. I never heard of him, but I, I hear he's great. Uh, well, come on, but we got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Come to dailywire.com and subscribe. You get so many great things, including the fact that you can just watch the whole show there. Uh, if you subscribe for 100 bucks a year, you get the Leftist Tears Tumblr. God willing, you will need it. All right, we'll take a break. All right, Knowles, you there? There we are. Good hey. to see you. you know, How are you? From far away. From, this reminds me of when we started out. Remember, you used to broadcast from the room next door? And we <laughs> had to use Skype. <laughs> My whole life is one series of regressing to earlier stages. So that's where we are now. No, I'm coming to you from the swamp itself, from our nation's capital, uh -oh. where, shockingly, I've actually seen something inspiring. Uh-oh. What, what, what why are you there? I'm out here for two speeches, one for TPUSA, which we did a few days ago, and then one for YAF, which is going to be tomorrow. So, so these are young conservatives. Uh, one is Turning Point USA. The other is Young America's Foundation. And Drew, it turns out that not everybody in the country is completely insane. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear this. And I wanted you to report on it because, you know, I wasn't invited. Uh, you know, I'm not hurt. That's, that's fine. But <laughs> that's why I wanted you to tell me because you were invited and you know, I wasn't. So that <laughs> I thought I would be. You were not. I mean, it's not just that you chose not to come. You were not invited. No, I was not. Events. I was not. I actually got a little card, an engraved card that said, please don't come to these events. Uh, you're not welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so I was actually just. So anyway, but but it was inspiring. I'm glad to hear that because, you know, I don't know because I wasn't invited. But uh, <laughs> but what happened? Yeah, what was. It tell is, me about TPUSA. What's that? So at, at TPUSA, I gave a speech on the topic of free speech on campus. This is what all these kids are interested in, what they're talking about. Things have gotten much worse on campus, even since I graduated, which wasn't all that long ago. The censorship has gotten a lot worse. The political climate has become much tougher for conservatives. They're afraid to speak out in class. They're afraid to speak out to their friends. Even issues that we would consider minor issues that in terms of how they affect people, like the gender ideology or transgenderism, which psychologically only affects about 0.2% of Americans, but has somehow come to dominate our national conversation. This is forcing these speech codes on students. I mean, just before I flew out here, Colorado State published a speech code that banned people from saying him, her, male, female, <laughs> Mr., Mrs., Ms. It, it banned homosexual because the word homosexual is now politically incorrect. The preferred term is queer, even though if you say queer, then you get banned from YouTube if you're Steven Crowder. It's just this totally silencing and oppressive climate. 
And uh, these students are showing a lot of courage. I mean, they're going out, they're, they're pushing back, they're standing up against it. And it, the key to it, I think, is that Trump showed up. So at TPUSA this past week, President Trump showed up and gave a speech. And I, one thing I think we're leaving out of the whole Trump conversation is not is is his effect on future generations. Yeah, yeah. You know, Ronald Reagan was not necessarily uh, popular among the chattering class during his time. People forget. <laughs> you know, was, I mean, oh, no, not, not, you're, uh, the understatement of the year. I mean, he was he, <laughs> no, he was a cause called an idiot. He was called a warmonger. He was going to destroy us all. He's a fascist. It was all the stuff they pull on Trump. This is the same stuff they pull on Trump. But we mean, I mean, of course, the left wingers would go after Reagan when he was in office. People forget a lot of conservatives went after him, yep. too. Yep. You know, the bow tie set who wore tweed and they went to really fancy lunches around D.C. They didn't like the guy very much in many cases. And uh, he had a champion in William F. Buckley Jr. at National Review. But a lot of the rest of them didn't. They would joke they had draft Bush signs on the door of the RNC in 1984. I yep. mean, he, he wasn't. And yet. When you fast forward 20 years, it was Ronald Reagan, more than any conservative in recent memory, who really fired up an entire new generation of conservatives because he fought back. He was quite effective in office. And I think you're seeing that with President Trump. I mean, I think it's a great thing that he's not ignoring the youths. He took time out of his busy schedule to come speak to TPUSA this past week. And, and I do think there is going to be an effect in 20 years when we forget all of the non-traversies of the day. And the, he, he used this word in a tweet or he said this thing and then Al Sharpton called him racist and who cares? In 20 years, what you're going to remember is a moment of reinvigoration for a conservative movement of 16-year-olds who had been told by the pop culture and by their teachers and by their professors to shut up. And uh, it's, it's inspiring to see a guy at the height of politics push back. And I think that effect on the culture is not to be underestimated because these campuses, these events that we go to all around the country, even though you weren't invited to this <laughs> no, one. That you go are, to, yeah, that you go to all around. <laughs> that I go to. <laughs> yeah. they, are, they are a crystal ball for your country in 20 years. And if, if we lose those, then you, you will not have a recognizable country in 20 years. And the, the fact that the president is taking that seriously, the White House is taking that seriously, I, I think bodes, uh, it gives us a little bit of hope for the future. I won't say it bodes well, but it does give us a glimmer of hope. That, that I have to say, is the longest you've ever spoken without me disagreeing with you. I think I agree with everything. No, I do. I agree with everything you just said. I think it's so important. And again, you know, I, I as an, an elderly uh, gentleman who likes politeness, I, you know, I, I regret the fact that it takes a guy like Trump to do this, but there's just no question that it does. They, they're stranglehold. You know, I wrote about this years ago in City Journal. I wrote a piece called The Big White Lie about the fact that they had taken over our system of manners, that you cannot sit at a dinner table. You can't go to a dinner party and speak the truth simply and politely without being excoriated, uh, banned, called racist. And I think that, yeah, in that situation, who do you think is going to break the rules? It's going to be Trump. And I, I think you're absolutely right. I hope it is inspiring to these young people. And I think the fact that he shows up shows that what both you and I have talked about before is that he gets what our intellectual right has completely missed uh, is the slavery, the mental slavery of the culture. He understands that you've got to be able to say when a guy disrespects the flag at a football game, you've got to be able to say, you're fired. That's that's wrong. That is wrong. It's not about whether you have the right. It's about whether it is right. And he and he gets it. He gets it. And, you know, there's this 
a thing that the chattering class complains about, you know, people who aren't 16 years old, people who are older, they see AOC, they see Ilhan Omar, they see these awful people really taking control on the left, they see half of the country disrespecting the American flag, they see a real radicalism and a polarization going on on the left, and they're t rightly afraid of that, and they're rightly afraid of what that means for the country. But you gotta remember, in the 1970s, things were pretty bad as well. We had maybe the second worst president in American history then, Jimmy Carter, you had uh, wild leftism, radicalism in the streets, people carrying guns, people killing politicians 10 years earlier. And uh, that radicalism, rather than destroying the country, showed people the extremes of these awful leftist ideas and gave us about a quarter of a century of more or less conservative governance. Yeah. And I think the silver lining right now with President Trump egging on these Democrats in every one of these tweets to embrace AOC, to embrace Al Sharpton, to spit on the American flag, it's giving Americans what Phyllis Schlafly called a choice, not an echo. And I think that could have generational effects. You know, there's a, a three-step pattern that this always follows where the left makes things so awful. They turn San Francisco into an unlivable city, LA, Chicago, Baltimore. Uh, they turn them into unlivable cities. And finally, finally, somebody says enough and they elect a Rudy Giuliani in New York. They elect a Ronald Reagan in Washington and he cleans things up. And what happens after that is you then get the next step in this is you then get a Democrat or or something a little undefined like like Bloomberg or Clinton to come in and govern in a rational way. They come in and Clinton didn't want to govern in a rational way, but Newt Gingrich forced him to. And he governed kind of down the middle. And people felt happier about that because Clinton had all the Democrat compassionate talking points that that other that Republicans frequently lack. But he did govern in a in a Reagan-esque way. And he kept Reagan's revolution alive. Same with Bloomberg. He kept Rudy Giuliani's revolution alive. And then that allows the generation who remembers to pass away and they go back. It's de Blasio, it's Obama, and they just blow the whole thing. And it just happens again and again. And uh, it takes a guy like uh, Trump, to, like a, a living hand grenade, to go off and blow this stuff away. So people remember, it doesn't have to be like this. People don't have to be crapping on your sidewalks. It doesn't have to be. You don't have to walk down the street afraid. Good policies will clear this stuff up. Listen, I'm glad somebody's representing us because I don't know if you know this, but I, I wasn't invited to come to the. To the you weren't invited. <laughs> no, to this I, one? I know it's amazing. Oh. I, I don't know what I, what what maybe was lost in the mail. I'm sure my invitation was lost in the mail. But uh, let me know how YAF goes, and uh, I can't wait to see you when you get back. Absolutely. See you soon. Hi. <laughs> right, good to see you. You know, it, it, really, folks, I, I'm not I'm not hurt when they don't invite me. I just assume it, you know, like it was lost in the mail, or possibly they don't you know, like me very much. I don't know. Uh, final reflection. I got to go to Peggy Noonan's column because finally people are talking about something that if you've been listening to this show, uh, I've been talking about for a long time. She talks about the French Revolution, which she calls a moral and political catastrophe. And it's really important that we understand that that's exactly what the French Revolution is. She uh, talks from Simon Shama's excellent book, Citizens, which I read uh, back in the early 90s, I think. Uh, but she talks about the fact that the, the French Revolution, she says, it was more a nationwide psychotic break than a revolt, a great notion, nation at its own throat, swept by a spirit not only of regicide but suicide. For 10 years, they simply enjoyed killing each other. They could have done what England was doing, a long, nonviolent revolution, a gradual diminution of power of the king and court, an establishment of the rights of the people and their legislators so that the region ended up a lovely person on a stamp. Instead, they chose blood. And she says... 
She says it was a revolution, this is Peggy Noonan, largely run by sociopaths. One Robespierre, the messianic schoolmaster, saw it as an opportunity for the moral instruction of the nation. Everything would be politicized, no part of the citizen's life left untouched, as man was governed by an empire of images, in the words of a Jacobin, J Jacobin intellectual, the new regime would provide new images to shape new thoughts. There would be pageants and new names for things. They would change time itself. The first year of the new republic was no longer 1792. It was year one. And uh, they, they did all kinds of things. And anything you did that was against the revolution, you got guillotined, right? And this was something that very few people actually had the courage to say. One of them was one of my culture heroes, William Wordsworth, the famous poet who went to France during the revolution and saw it, came back. He wrote the famous line, bliss was it in that time to be alive and to be young was very heaven. Uh, what a wonderful thing it was, this freedom that suddenly after years, uh, centuries of rules by kings, centuries of uh, oppressive feeling religion, suddenly it was all thrown off. And there was this great feeling of liberation that had been inspired by America, uh, you know, and now it was going to come to Europe and all would be free. Wordsworth saw that this turned into bloodshed and world war. Let's not forget, the Napoleon Wars were the first world war, turned into wars of conquest. Once again, the British fighting virtually alone to keep Napoleon at bay. And Wordsworth said this was wrong. And Wordsworth became a conservative and he was reviled and he was hated. People wrote poetry against him. And that, in those days, poetry was a big deal. Uh, and yet, and yet, it was Wordsworth's vision that moved into the Victorian era, one of the great really uh, watersheds of humankind. And I just always bring that back because it's, I want to remind you that it's never over. It is never over. The fight is never over. I saw this before, as Knowles was talking about. I was there in the 70s when things went south because of left-wing Supreme Court decisions, left-wing ideas about crime, left-wing ideas about race, destroyed so much, so many of our cities. It can be turned around with good policies. It's bad policies that make it nothing, zero, to do with race. In fact, if you can take off the glasses that make you see everything in terms of race, you will suddenly see that race actually has nothing whatsoever to do with it. It's behaviors, it's culture, it's policy. And it can be turned around. And if it takes a Donald Trump to do it, then I'm with Trump. Because it, we really do need to move into, back into a world uh, where we can reform things. It's good to reform things. It's good to make sure that our poor are taken care of. But you do it in a measured way without destroying free speech, without destroying the great things that made us great in the first place. I got to stop, but I will be back tomorrow. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. Oh, hooray, hurrah. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Austin Stevens and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. And our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Edited by Adam Saevitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey, over on the Matt Wall Show today, we're going to talk about this uh, Donald Trump and Baltimore thing. Donald Trump says that Baltimore is a, is a dump, basically. And he is factually correct in that observation, but is it racist for him to make that observation? Democrats say so. Uh, also, a mother complains about childless millennials ruining Disney World. Should kids uh, or grown-ups grown without kids be banned from theme parks? 
We will tackle that important question today also on The Matt Walsh Show.